Hey everyone, welcome back to the podcast. This episode is the fourth live stream. Um, this one was with Dan and Jason Sam Koviak of Traditional Bow Hunting and Wilderness Podcast. Jason has a wealth of knowledge when it comes to all kinds of stuff, um, kind of that outdoor lifestyle related stuff, camping, hunting, um, traditional archery, all kinds of cool stuff on his page. Go check his page out. Um, this was a good one. Everybody liked this one. Uh, it was definitely our most successful live stream. So I hope you guys enjoy it. Um, if you don't mind, go over to my YouTube channel and subscribe. I'm going to put a link in the description of this podcast. Um, that That's like the best way to support the podcast if you're into supporting the podcast. really helps me out and uh, lets YouTube know that people like this and, and keeps, uh, keeps the ball rolling as far as YouTube goes. Got to thank a couple sponsors, the first one being Stealth Outdoors. Um, it's no secret that Lou and the guys at Stealth Outdoors have the best product in the market for silencing your gear. If you need some type of a gear silencing um, tape, go over to StealthOutdoors.com and get you some Stealth Strips. Also got to thank Exodus Outdoors. Um, Exodus has a lot of cool stuff coming down the line. They have a cool deal going on in April right now where... If you trade in a working or non-working camera of any type, you get $75 off a Exodus Render cell camera. So if you're wanting to get your hands on a render, this is a great time to do that. Find you an old piece of junk trail camera, go trade it in. Link in the description on how to do that uh, as well. With that, let's get into the episode. Hey everyone, welcome to the show Show number four of our live podcast, Dan. Hey. <laughs> um, hey if, if you guys, uh, if you haven't been on here before, chats are in the, the right side of your screen over there, or at least they're in my right side. I think they're in your right side also. So um, post your comments there and we'll get to a, a Q&A uh, segment at the end of the show, which will probably take up most of our, our show. But uh, ask your questions. Um, we got a good guest today, um, Jason Samkowiak from the Traditional Bowhunting and Wilderness Podcast. Um, but first, how's it going, Dan? I'm good. Good. I'm you alive. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I got a new, uh, a new internet provider and a lot, a lot of people were complaining that I was fuzzy on the, my camera was fuzzy and it's cause I had to. I had to have my resolution on my camera way down so the internet would not be all clunky. But I got a new provider, so I'm good now, nice and clear. Fuzzy, so you look better. Fuzzy. I look better. Yeah. Fuzzy, so can I get some of that uh, low resolution? No. If you if you've never uh, never seen Dan in person, that room. yeah, if you've never seen Dan in person, that's how he looks is fuzzy. So, um, <laughs> did you get any? Did you do any scouting this weekend or anything? No, I. Um, I put in a uh, stairs to my down downstairs basement. I just kind of had a a hole. <laughs> yeah. So I put in the stairway, and uh, uh, actually, uh, I heard my friend uh, Eric uh, Jeske. He's probably watching right now. He raced home to get home in time to watch. But uh, I had him come over. He's a contractor. Anybody needs any help? Eric Jeske. He's a good guy. I see him on here. He is here. Yeah, he's. Uh, He's a hell of a guy. You got to do some hunting with him. 
Yep. He comes up and he gun hunts with me, but we want to plan a bow hunt or something. You know, get him on one of the group hunts. He's a good guy. Yeah, for sure. So, um, no scouting at all this weekend. You you haven't been able to scout very much this year, have you? Not for yourself. No, it's driving me nuts. It's driving me nuts. So I gotta I gotta get up and scout for bears because I'm going to a new area this year. Mm-hmm. I want to tackle uh, central Wisconsin and um, hunt with a friend of mine up there. Um, and he's gonna bait, but I gotta get up there and scout a little bit. Uh, he's around the Mead Wildlife Area. Might try up there. Um, that should be fun. Uh, I don't know what to expect out of it. We'll see. New area. I got to do some cyber scouting and I got to get up there and put some boots on the ground. I also really need to get down to Iowa and look around a little bit where I'm going to hunt yeah. down there. I have not yet. I haven't even looked at a map yet. And I'm going to a new area in Iowa. So, um, yeah, I'm a little stressing over it. I haven't looked at as much stuff around here as I'd like to. I keep helping other people rather than myself. And I got to get a little more selfish, I guess. Have, I mean, you've been around where you you live for a long time now, obviously like your whole life. I mean, does you, do you still have a lot of ground that you haven't touched as far as. Not much. Oh, sorry Not about much. that. Everybody there's hit some, my mic. There's some old stuff I'd like to look at. Just some stuff right. I'd to uh, check and see if it's been uh, used in the last couple of years, you know, um, revisit it. Things change. If you haven't been on a property in 10 years, things can really change. Um, so yeah, I, I need to get out and look at some stuff. Yeah, if, I think uh, I'm pretty sure I'm going to lose Dave's farm this year. So, yeah, you'll they essentially have no selling you... it off. I was uh, I was hoping to maybe buy it. Um, it would have been really really tight, but I could have did it if I uh, if I fixed the house up, rented the house, and uh, rented out the farmland. Then I yeah. could make payments. But uh, they wanted to break it up, and they wanted to give. Uh, a neighbor who was helping uh, his mom out um, the major portion, which the farm fields. Yeah. We just thought that I would just want the hunting land in the back, which is only 20 acres and it was landlocked. And uh, I said, well, maybe I'd do it if I had an access and I got the farm or the, the building. And they said, well, we already sold that to an electrician. So I guess I'm out. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you don't want to get into something you don't want, you know. I mean, yeah, I wanted it more for you know, it's not really even the best hunting property, but it's more uh, just uh, um, the memories there. I wanted to keep it, yeah, sentimental value yeah. to you. So, that, I mean, you'll essentially not have any private at all, then, right? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, that was all Is I it? had. Yeah, hmm. Oh, well, I always, I always uh, think about like, hey, what would happen if I lost my private farm and this and that? And I'm like, I don't, I honestly rarely shoot one there it's usually i usually shoot it either on some little dinky 10 acres like a nine or on public and i mean i've only killed a few deer there over the years i like a place uh, a private place to to manage and play with mm-hmm. and uh where you can trust trail cameras and stuff like that but uh, i could never like just hunt there it, it would you yeah, know, yeah, even yeah. dave's i only hunted a few times a year but i loved it you know i, I hunted there like five or 10 times a year. Right. That was it. Cause we kept I, it, pristine, you know? Yeah. I only hunt mine. Honestly, it's, it depends on the deer there. You know, if I feel like I'm on one, I mean, I hunted, I hunted like four hunts in a row there that one time, but I saw, I had, was on this buck, you know, and I was chasing him down and I saw him every hunt then shot at him the last hunt. 
Um, but yeah, I always worry about that because you never know, you know, farmers have grandkids that grow up or whatever and never know what they're going to be into, but it is what it is. If you don't own it, you don't have much control over it. Um, anything else going on? Uh, not a whole lot. Uh, when's, when's turkey season start for you guys? Uh, for me, it starts in, uh, uh, May. I mean, my, my season's real late. Oh, you know, you drew the whatever week, a later week. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah so is... I bought some extra tags too. Um, but, uh, they're all late. So mm. it's hard around here late. I think I'll still have Dave's farm for turkey season. Uh, I haven't heard anything different, so I'm planning on hunting over there a little bit. Um, and that helps because I usually do really good um, the first couple of weeks on the public, but it's so overpressured around here for turkeys that later later on Dave's farm picks up. But usually, you know, I stayed out of Dave's too because I let Dave, because he had cancer and stuff for quite a while here, um, hunt it, you know. Um, yeah. It will be just me, so I can decide if I... Uh, you know, if I want to go in alone or if I want to take Rick or, you know, what I want to do and um, get our last hunts in there. I know there's a couple of big times running around over there. So, yeah, I, uh, that's one thing I don't have on my private farm is, is turkeys. We have the, um, there's a, you know, a large CRP field there and not any hard woods at all. I mean, no woods, nothing. Mm-hmm. I mean, you'll have a straggler going through there, just, you know, whatever, but I pretty much hunt solely on, on public land for turkeys. Um, but the one, one of the guys, uh, on the beast, uh, sent me a, uh, PM about 10 minutes ago that I found kind of interesting. He sent me a picture. Uh, it's a guy named James O'Hearn. He's from Michigan. I met him when I did that meet and greet out in Michigan. He, uh, supplied food for us. Really good guy. Um, he sent me a picture, uh, that he just got on his, uh, cell cam of a buck that's already got, fairly well decent developing antlers really doesn't that seem a little early uh how developed i mean how how big uh, are it, they it, it looked it looked in the picture uh now i'm going from memory but it looked like the um they're starting to come up about uh maybe two inches uh, i don't think that's out of the or out of the question i think it could they could be that far along already yeah i suppose um yeah i mean because i you know i mean just like last week i had friends sending me pictures of bucks still holding you know yeah yeah no i you're right i had a, i have a buddy uh well zank the one that was on last week he uh hopped on for a question he he sent a picture of a small one holding um i don't know maybe it's gonna be a giant or something I, <laughs> who knows that's kind of how but, it was with the, the um the uh bear bait buck um that was like uh i think it was the beginning of june like the first week of june and the kid that we were baiting with says to me this giant buck crossed through and i'm like giant buck they don't even have antlers <laughs> they got these little knives cold cans coming out and sure <laughs> enough, we got a picture of it at the bear bait and it did you know so yeah it's a big one i know. saw a big one during uh turkey season here opening opening uh weekend which is like it's usually whatever next was it two weeks from no less than two weeks now it opens on a wednesday I saw a pretty nice one uh, last year during Turkey uh, set up in the morning for um, opening day of Turkey. And it was, there was a nice one that walked by. You could, I mean, he was whatever, however tall he was, 
pretty tall out of his head already. Mm. So um, that may be exaggeration. So it's probably not unheard of. You know? Yeah, I don't think so. Um, I think I'm usually not watching them too close this time of the year. Yeah. Yeah, there's not much to look at right now. Yeah. Um, and I think, and I don't know the, I don't, not that I'm the wrong person to ask about the science of all of it, but I don't, it seems like the big ones oftentimes shed a little earlier and maybe they, I don't yeah. know if they get a jump start on the little ones and maybe they're just, um, obviously they got to grow more than. What I understand is dress related. So, um, yeah, you, you know, the breeders will drop fast. The ones that are doing the heavier breeding, which is yeah. probably more than two or three year olds. Um, well, I mean, if you think about the injury or, you know, deer are not far off from how humans are. I mean, the young ones, typically they're not stressed because they don't know any better. Most of the time, whereas an old deer probably is constantly mm -hmm. stressed in his life, you know, just from experiences of, of negative experiences all throughout his day, every day of he, he walks around, you know, whether it be coyotes that he, he knows are danger or people or whatever else, disease and everything else. So, whereas a buck mm -hmm. or a small yearling or something, they don't, whatever you know they're not much stress to them you know an interesting fact i had a um a couple different deer breeders um tell me that they uh logged when their deer dropped their antlers and that deer individually dropped their antlers pretty close to the same date if it was stress-free yeah year. so you'll have one buck that drops right around january 12th you know one year it's the 11th one year is the 12th then it's the 13th then it's the 11th then it's the 12th but like right within a like 48 hour period, they were telling me it was pretty accurate unless there was a stress in that deer, like it had an injury or something. Yeah. And it would change things. But uh, then they'd have a different one that was two months later, you know, hmm. that when it would drop right to the date and they live in the same pen, eat the same food, same age. So there's probably a lot more to it than what, you know, than what we all think, you know, there's probably just a ton of factors I'd say, you know, yeah. um, I don't know. I, I mean, I picked up, I picked up a nice shed this year around Christmas. I mean, it, that was pretty early. I know you said you picked up some in November, haven't you? Yeah. We've had deer shed, uh, in gun season here, you know, which is Thanksgiving week. Um, Dave shot one one time and, uh, we, uh, uh, I, I missed it and it got away and then we got in its tracks and fresh snow and Dave ended up, uh, he was the tracker and then we circled around it. And he went and tried to kill it. And if he was going to jump it, it was going to run to one of us. And uh, he ended up shooting it in its, in its bed. And we got over there and we we're like, hold it up for pictures. And he grabs one antler and it pops off in his hand when he goes to pick the head up. And when he got like half off the ground, picking it up when the antler popped off in his hand, when the head hit the ground, the other one popped off. Had to be right ready to shed. Yeah. And that was, that was gun season in the uh, third week of November. Man, that's crazy. I've seen him. Uh, I've seen another one do the exact same thing in uh, early December in muzzleloader season. Yeah, that shed I found uh, it had a, it was around Christmas time. I don't remember exactly what it was, but it it it's, it was chewed on a little bit. It'd been laying there for just a little bit. I mean, it's definitely from this year though. It wasn't you know a year old, but there'd been fresh mice or whatever squirrels chewing on it. Uh, only reason I I know it was this year is I had pictures of that deer, whatever throughout the year on trail camera but um <laughs> someone asked if you're in a ground blind you do look like you're in a ground blind a little bit i am i'm in a <laughs> <laughs> oh man I'm from society you're pulling me out I'm yeah just my face out uh, 
I think the your setup fits you well. Yeah. Um, I got to say, guys, uh, before we get Jason on here, um, don't forget, if you haven't subscribed to my channel, subscribe. Um, and someone asked about questions. Yeah, we're going to do questions tonight. Jacob is not on. My wife is uh, monitoring the chats, and she's going to shoot me the questions whenever uh, they come in. So I'm not, I'm not uh, filtering through all your guys' uh, BS sessions on the on the chats, which I love. I, I get distracted uh, sometimes. I actually got some negative feedback la- uh, last week because they said I was looking at the chats too much and not paying attention to the guests because you guys are cracking mm-hmm. me up. Um, but that's all right. Just keep them coming. I think they're funny. And uh, we get a bunch of chats too. I mean, there's usually, I don't know how many there actually are, but a hundred or more usually. So that's kind of cool. Um, all right. I got something real corny to do because I use this. Uh, if you guys see in the top right corner, there's this company called StreamYard that that's like a program that runs these chats for you. And uh, they advertise that you can uh, like put in little segments and whatnot. And you can, if you give them two hundred dollars, so once you guys start seeing real cool stuff on here, you'll know I've made it. So right now we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna try to make this into uh um the, sh- the into more of a show format instead instead of just a talking format per se. So like I'm gonna try to make segments where we have hey here's our you know me and des me and Dan BS and here's our guest. Next sem- segment would be you know a Q and A or whatever news segment. Um, so right now we're gonna hop in with a. Uh, Jason. There he is. How's it hey going, guys, Jason? How are you doing? Good. If you guys have noticed, Jason's heading down the road right now. That's why I called this uh, podcast Heading South with yeah. Jason Sankoviak. Yep. <laughs> Jason, uh, for people that don't know you, can you give us a rundown of what you do and, and why we had you on, I guess? <laughs> uh, I am the only person is a better deer hunter than dan is yeah (laughs) (laughs) um but i i have a traditional bow hunting and wilderness podcast um podcast and a youtube channel and you know um like you guys do i i I devote as much time as i can trying to help people get better at being in the woods and uh you know filling their freezer and that kind of stuff and it's i've been doing it now for about uh well since 2011 i think so a little over 10 years and it's just it's a lot of fun i really enjoyed it. it's neat to help people and so it turned into a channel and a podcast and you know that kind of stuff and uh here we are and that's it i just you know i, I love hunting and uh with being with with my jobs you know kind of thing I, I do get to hunt a lot of time you know i take all of november off and hunt exclusively in november or pretty much a whole month in november and uh and then a lot in december and that kind of so i, I get to spend a lot of time in the woods and i, I really enjoy it and hope hope to share all that info with anybody who needs it yeah and i i remember man i remember you jason I, you probably had i don't know how many followers you had maybe ten thousand, maybe less when i started you know found you somehow or whatever looking probably searching for some piece of a gear or something and now you're you're reaching whatever 50,000 subscribers on YouTube I looked there earlier I'm like man he's really really growing um so that's pretty cool thank you yep it's uh it's it's going good I I definitely enjoy it yeah you put a lot of good good info for folks out there especially I mean really I mean even you know really unique topics for hunting whether it be like hunting vehicles or hunting bicycles or i mean you do all kinds of cool stuff that you don't wouldn't think about so um 
Yeah. And you give, give people like affordable options is what I like about it. Uh, yeah. I don't, I don't make a lot of money. So I do, you know, in order to, to take that kind of time off and hunt, it's all gotta be DIY and it's all public land and it's all affordable kind of, you know, affordable stuff that I can do. And I, you know, I like it. And I also do a lot of videos on weird stuff too. Like you said, I'll do videos on a chainsaw or on, you know, it doesn't matter what it is. If I think people like it or it's somehow related to people that live the lifestyle like we do, um, or self-sufficiency, I put the video out there. Yep. Camping. You get a lot of good camping like tips and stuff too. Um, which are a lot of people, like you said, that you're trying to save money or something, you end up camping somewhere and, um, you got a lot of good, good stuff on that. But, uh, so you, uh, people may not know this. You're from Michigan, right? I am. Yep. But you're going to reside in Georgia now. That's where you're heading right now. You, you leap down there and made the, made a move to Georgia. Yeah. We bought a place down there as a cottage, like to spend winter. Cause again, I can take my, now I'm at the point where I, I, I double my workload in the spring, summer through October. And so then I can take basically middle of October through middle of April off and just hunt nonstop is my plan. And that's what I did last year. And we bought a place down in Georgia to go down there and, uh, and we loved it. And as soon as we got home, we thought, you know what, let's just, uh, you know, let's just make it happen. So we sold our, put our house on the market It sold in two days with multiple offers. So that was kind of cool, but scary at the same time. And now uh, we have the place down here, but we can't leave Michigan until November. I'm a wedding photographer is one of the things I do that pressure washing in the weddings. I'm already booked all the way through this year. So I got to stay here in Michigan. And then after my season is done this year, I'll book everything down in Georgia. You know, I'll try and transfer and shoot down there and, and bring the pressure washing down there. So uh, we're going to plan on being in, in Georgia full-time starting in November. You going to come up to Michigan and hunt still, or are you going to be done hunting in Michigan? <laughs> you know, I, 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 I probably won't come back to Michigan. I mean, I love Michigan, but uh, you know, it's, it's, it's not my favorite place to hunt. I do hunt, you know, a few different States and uh, Michigan is by hard, by far the hardest. Um, I've said it before and people laugh at me, but you know, after hunting Kansas and Missouri and Ohio and Illinois, all that stuff, I mean, a, a Michigan button buck is smarter than a 130-inch deer in Kansas, on both of them being on public land. I mean, it's unbelievable how jittery, you know, a, a northern Michigan, you know, public land deer is. It's, un, they're, you know, they're, they're wired. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. Um, now, you're, you're, in, you're, in, you're in northern Michigan. Is that where you live or where, where, yeah. at? where did you do most of your hunting? Up by Houghton Lake, between Houghton Lake and Grayling and Gaylord around there, and it's kind of the, what it is, is it's a central hub, it's Deer Camp Central, we call it, because you got big cities like Detroit and Grand Rapids and Lansing, and all of them head north and merge and crash right into this area, and it's the first area you get to of massive amounts and miles and miles of public land that's all broken up by oil oil wells and power lines and two tracks and so it's uh it's very easy access everywhere and there's uh you know people they come up for camps there's there's hundreds and hundreds of deer camps here every year it's it's deer camp central yeah why uh why georgia what made you go down there what i guess uh i've seen over the years you've been down there a lot but was there a certain thing you like about georgia i i uh you know I, i came down for a pig hunt 
uh, about four years ago. I wanted to try public land pigs. I've killed a dozen or so pigs on ranches back in the 90s and early 2000s um, in like Tennessee and that kind of stuff in South Ohio and the hills. And, um, you know, so I did that, but I wanted to uh, try public land. I heard Georgia was pretty good. So I went down there to the mountains in North Georgia. And I was down there for two and a half days. And believe it or not, I actually got into pigs. And I had a pig come into me in like three yards facing at me. I didn't, I didn't get a shot. He busted me drawn. But I was hooked. And so then I made three more trips down for like three days over the next two years to try it. And I just fell in love with being down here. And then we bought a camper. And last year we came down here four different times for a week at a time. And I straight up loved it. I killed four or five what I, I, four or five pigs last year on public land and uh seen a ton of deer and loved it and so then last this time last year we sold the camper sold our boat sold my bow fishing boat sold every toy and everything we had and we put the money down on a on a little cabin down here which is what we're going to move into um so we bought that little house and then uh i, I just it just keeps progressing but I, I love it i am where i live at i am surrounded by I have like nine WMAs that are huge in size and every one of them within an hour and a half of me. I got deer in Georgia. I get 10 deer tags. I get unlimited hogs, 365 days a year of hog hunting. I get a bear tag, three turkey tags. Um, I can apply for alligator tags. And then I got Alabama not far away with, uh, you know, where I can hunt deer in a rut all the way till mid-February. So there's a lot down here. And I got uh, Tennessee and Kentucky and uh virginia you know there's a lot here so for me it's kind of like a hunting mecca here i'm gonna put that light on that's probably better for you oh perfect yeah <laughs> yeah sun's going down on you <laughs> yeah it does now oh <laughs> uh, yeah um i i'm i'm i love living in the midwest but when i was down i went to georgia and south carolina in in february and hog hunted last year and man i've when i when i told my wife i'm like man i could go down there in the winter time that that's pretty fun. I wouldn't get anything done other than hog hunting, but that's what that would be the plan if I would ever move down there or you know winter down there, whatever you want to call hibernate down there. Yeah, uh, people I don't know. people think it's funny when I say it, but I'm not gonna lie. After spending these last couple okay. years, you know, not I'm not interested in hunting and sitting in a tree stand uh, or sitting over a feeder. And there's nothing wrong with that, but it's not what I'm. I it, it draws me. But I'll tell you what, honestly, I prefer pig pig hunting is is overpowered deer hunt for me. Um, it's more fun for me. I, I love that freedom, and it's a perfect mix. After spending all of October, November, and and most of December sitting in a tree stand for you know almost all day sits a lot of the times, or you know in the woods all day moving stands four times a day. Um, it is really nice to then spend January, February, March, and even into April where you're not in the stand and you're just, you're, you're walking five to 12 miles a day and through there. And it's just adventure and, you know, you're honing your stalking skills and getting in on these pigs. And, and like I said, it's like the perfect combination of, you know, to be able to get six months of straight hunting where three are all about deer and then three are all about pigs. And I, I love it. Yeah. And something that's good about or you know i'm obviously not a nov i'm not a like an avid pig hunter but where i would see the huge advantage of just like getting shots at animals like you, you really can't uh teach that kind of type of thing of actually shooting an animal you know and that i think that's a if nothing else if a guy from the midwest where you only kill a deer or two a year to get down there and just get some animals under your belt um that's where i would see it be really beneficial i mean it's don't get me wrong it's 
it was a blast and i'd agree with you it would it, it would rival deer hunting if it was more you know uh i guess you know in my area but um it's it was pretty fun there's, there's like, something about pig hunting where it's like uh you, you know you don't care if you miss you don't care if you don't get one and you just go out there and shoot whatever where it's just kind of a blast to go out there and have a relaxing hunt where you're just going after crap you know where the deer yeah. hunt is a little serious and stuff you know um i like pig hunting i haven't really uh ventured to the south and gone after them the only pigs i've ever shot were in a um large preserve so i'd really like to go out there and uh and try that sometime i know you did uh josh last year mm-hmm. yeah we we were in georgia and we hunted public land for two days no yeah two days a day and a half we had an evening and then a full day and we got into pigs both times um never i never got one on public land well then the guy I was down there with his buddy called him and he's from south carolina which we were right on the border there he's like oh man he's like we got a problem at my my our, our lease or whatever it was his family farm at, i don't think it was a lease a family farm and he's like it's bad down there and he, and he's like well you want us to go and try to kill some and I said, I, he, I said, I'm, I'm good with that. I had to buy a South Carolina license. And then something that's weird in South Carolina, I think I'm right on this on public land. You like, there has to be something else in season or, or something weird where I couldn't hunt public land down there. Is that right, yep. Jason? Is it something like that? Yeah, you are correct. And then South Carolina and Mississippi have two very weird rules that really bum me out because the rule is that during small game season, which is when most of us are hunting hogs, during small game season, you can use a bow, but you can, it says in a rule book, only bludgeon tips. You cannot have a broadhead in your quiver. So you cannot yeah. bow hunt them during small game in That's South Carolina. Yeah, I wasn't allowed to have, I wouldn't have allowed to have a bow with broadheads yeah. um, on public land. During that so time it seems of the year. like they don't take uh, pig pig eradication uh, seriously. I agree. It's a very weird rule, um, and it doesn't make a lot of sense. And I and I was telling people about it, and I guess it's that way in Mississippi too. Cannot have a broadhead in there uh, during small game season, which you know. So in South Carolina, you're really the only time you can kill pigs is is during deer season for the most part, deer or turkey season. Yeah, but we went down to that guy's farm and it was overran with hogs. I mean, it was a problem. He had some food plots and stuff in there and they were just look like they'd been tilled up from the hog sign. And, um, it, it was, I mean, if you had a gun, I was using a longbow, but if you had a gun, I don't know how many we would have killed, but it'd been a bunch. Um, there just, there were just pockets of them everywhere. It seemed like, um, and the farmer was honestly pretty disappointed whenever I pulled up and had a longbow. He's like, ah, uh, he's using that. I'm like, yeah. He's like, yeah. <laughs> uh he wanted me to shoot more than uh more than one i think but that's all right it was fun i got the invite to go I, back down there anytime so i saw the video the video i saw the video of that hunt it was fantastic i mean well done yeah thanks it's yep. uh it was i don't know what how to say it it was it was easier than i thought it was going to be on uh, even on on uh on the public land we got into him pretty quick but i was with somebody that was knowledgeable about the area so I don't, I don't know how I would have done if I had just went down there and started walking around, you know, probably not as well, obviously. But, um, the one thing that was hard is a little hard to hit them. Sometimes they're not as, you know, there's, they're not that big. I mean, they're, some of them are just, you know, um, and they never stand you know. still. They're always, yeah, exactly. Moving. Never stop yeah. moving. Yeah. And, uh, I, I don't know how many people have seen that video, but the guy I was with, he's, he's never hunted with anybody with a, a traditional bow. 
And I got to like, I was like at 25 yards, you know, and he's like, all right, shoot him. I'm like, I'd like to get a little closer than this, you know? <laughs> and I got the 20 and, I, and he goes, all right, shoot him. I'm like, ah, uh, I think I can get a little closer. Right. And he's like, yeah, I guess. And I, but I got into whatever it was, 15 yards and, and got, and I uh, got a shot I missed, but uh, anyway, that was, yeah, uh, it, was, it, it, was, it was, it was definitely a good hunt though. I mean, I, I enjoyed yeah. the video and you know, and, and Dan, you nailed it perfectly when you said, I mean, when it comes to eat, to pigs, you know, nobody, there's no antlers on them and uh, nobody's measuring the hoofs or, uh, you know, any of that kind of stuff. So none of it matters. Nobody cares if you shot a 50 pound pig or you shot a 400 pound pig. Nobody cares. It's just about shooting the pigs. Uh, the meat is fantastic. Um, and, uh, the adventure is incredible, but you, there is zero stress, you know, and there's no, uh, and, and it's active type hunting, you know, you're going to go yeah. out there and you might run across gators. You might run across snakes. Uh, you never know what you're going to come into. You might have a chance to sneak up on bedded deer that are just chilling that you just happen to catch in your binoculars, sneaking along there. But every single day is an adventure with zero pressure and, uh, zero stress and zero competition. There's nothing. It's just pure enjoyment out there. And you're, you're right. It's, it's a it's a total different thing than that grind that we do deer hunting where it's uh, up every morning. You know, you pig hunt any time of the day. If I want to sleep in and head out there at 9, I got just as good odds if I got out there at 7. Uh, you know, so there's no none of that matters. So it's, uh, it is a definitely different grind than what we do during the deer season. Yeah. It's a good time, though, if you guys ever get a chance to go down there. I know I've heard, I've seen some people in the chats uh, talk about um that'd be a dream hunt to go down there uh it wasn't in the chats it was in the comments on some of the posts we put uh on facebook but there's so that'd be my dream to go down there and it's like just go down there it's not it's not expensive it's not uh you don't really i don't know it was fun it wasn't it was super my, cheap my dream is to go hunt a kodiak and that costs about 40 or 50 <laughs> yeah you, yeah starting so, well so, pigs are pretty cheap and easy yeah, and doesn't have to be so. a dream anybody can do it <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah, we start we started to get them here in southern Indiana, um, probably probably six or eight years ago, and they got real. I don't know. They got they got pretty thick in certain areas, and now I don't even hear about them anymore. So I don't know if I, I know the the DNR got on them pretty quick and started putting traps out and catching them all. And my boss actually had a they put a, he had a bunch in his my old boss he had a b- bunch of bunch of them on his property, and they caught like twenty of them in a trap at one time. They got this gigantic like cage they put up and they put a bunch of corn underneath it. And then he would show me on his phone that, you know, Hey, it says it sets a, uh, like a trail camera off. And then he goes on his phone, he pushes a button and the trap falls on them all. Um, It's crazy. But so I think our DNR um, got rid of them pretty quickly or tried to, at least I'm sure there's some, um, I just don't hear about them anymore. Now down in Kentucky where I hunt, there's some down there, uh, but not like, not like they were in South Carolina. There was, not that many. You we do- had the same thing in Michigan, same thing up there. You know, there was a time where they escaped from a lot of these hunting preserves up there and they were breeding. As a matter of fact, I ran a, I ran a bear bait. Uh, God, I want to say it was 
probably 20 years ago, I had a, I was, had a pulled a Michigan permit for uh, my area, Red Oak unit. And I had bear baits out there and I had a, a decent sow pig that was coming into my bear bait 11 o'clock every night. I even called the DNR, showed them the pictures and told them, you know, if you, I'll give up the bear bait, if you guys want to go in there and take this, this pig out and eradicate it and, you know, whatever you want to do. And they said, no, we can't do that. And I asked them, I said, well, can I, can I shoot it? You know, well, you can, as long as it's during daylight and only during the, um, you know, during the, when you actually have the bear season, they wouldn't let me, they wouldn't let me kill it. Even, you know, the only season open was coyote. They wouldn't let me do it because I can't hunt coyote, couldn't hunt coyotes from a tree stand at the time. So I couldn't do anything about it. But, uh, other than, you know, it was real popular then you were hearing about people that were killing them on opening day of deer season up here. And then all of a sudden they disappeared. Now you don't ever hear about them. I don't ever hear anything about pigs here in Michigan. We had the yeah. same so thing it's just Wisconsin. like you're talking about out with Indiana. We had the same thing in Wisconsin. We actually, they caught somebody in Wisconsin that was uh, transporting them up here and releasing them. Wow. Jeez. <laughs> yeah. Somebody trying to start a whole new hunting, a whole yep. new hunting stock. Somebody likes <laughs> pigs a little too much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What's, yep. uh, what's, uh, uh, Stephen Ornella, when he goes hunting pigs, he always asks the people down there, like in Texas and like, because they're you know pretty big problem down there too. It's like if you could wave a wave a wand and get rid of all of them, would you wave that wand? And all of them are like, probably not. They're too much fun to to hunt, even though they're pretty destructive. Um, I'm sure the farmers, if you ask the general 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 farmers, that they'd probably definitely get rid of them if they they could. Um, and off their leases too they don't want them you know even down in georgia where i'm at you know when i tell people i'm pig hunting they're like you get up if you get up at five in the morning to go chase pigs it's like yeah and i yeah. love it you know and they're like that's crazy we you know we shoot them on site anytime we cannot we can't stand them we want them off of our because they rip up the food plots for these guys and yeah. everybody in georgia if you're not on public land you're hunting food plots that's uh that's where that farmer or that hunter was with me in, in south carolina he was like he's like they're and it was, it's his food plots were looked pretty rough with the, you know, um, pigs rooting stuff up. Um, but it is what it is. Um, maybe we'll have to go down there one, uh, winter, Dan, when we have a free, free time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to definitely do it again. Like I said, it's, it's a, it's a beautiful place to be in the winter time. You know, the snakes aren't out, the gators aren't out, nothing's really out. It's, uh, you know, the foliage is down, you know, you know, when you come down here, once, once the temperatures get warmed up, like in the spring, I mean, you have spiders here that can literally pull your head right off your shoulders. You know, you got gators everywhere, snakes all over the place. Everything here wants to eat you, poke you, stab you, or make you itch and sting later on. And, uh, you know, if it's not the ticks, it's the tiggers. This sounds fun. It is. You just got to be a little slower going through the swamps here. I don't like snakes. So. Yeah, I don't like them either. But yeah. they're they're an adventure here. But here you'd have to go a little slower. Along and have him walk in front. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You said Rick. Have Rick Rick along. Yeah, bring Rick along and have him walk in front. <laughs> and we'll videotape him from two different angles. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Oh, uh, yeah. He'd probably go. Maybe he wanted. He was one of the ones that wanted to go pig hunting. So. Uh, yeah. Dan has to give me some time off from building stands and stuff. Stands. <laughs> I must be paying him too much. I mean, 50 cents an hour and uh, he can, all of a sudden he can afford to uh, do all this extra hunting. So, <laughs> 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 yeah, 
Jason, have yep. you done much deer hunting down down there yet? I killed a doe down here this year in over Christmas week. I was actually pig hunting, and uh, it was kind of interesting because I was covered in sweat, head to toe. It was brutal. It was a hot day, and I was stalking pigs or trying to find pigs creeping along, and all of a sudden a doe popped out, and uh, I was like, oh, look at this. And I'm like, I got I got 10 deer, deer tags. So I started stalking with her and sneaking in there on dry leaves, and it took me an hour and a half to do it, but I got close enough, 18 yards, and I shot and dropped her you know I, I well i perfect you know double lung shot quarter and away she ran like 25 yards and uh flipped over and that was it it was game over so that was my first georgia deer but it was like you know it was it was an opportunity type thing it wasn't like i i had uh studied the terrain and was planning for that and had them come by like we do when we're deer on it was more of just a, an opportunity i took advantage of gotcha so you haven't like put a stand up and you know, nope, not yet. Not, nothing like that. Oh, okay. We had a question, I don't know if it was two weeks ago, maybe, about uh, a guy from the, I think he was from Mississippi, maybe. Don't quote me on that. But he was having problems where uh, some of his deer hunting areas were getting really a lot of pressure from hogs. And he was wanting some recommendations on, on what to do whenever your, your hogs are uh, overrunning your deer areas. We didn't really know what to tell him. We never hunted in hog infested areas, but um sounds like you really haven't either <laughs> but and there's not much you can do according to what i hear your only option is to trap them or shoot them um because the hogs they're they're not after the food plot they're after the grubs and the worms that are under the food plot and yeah. all the work that people do to make their food plots lush and produce uh all of the stuff that's underneath that is what those pigs are after and, uh, and they, I mean, they're, they're, they're incredible. I mean, a group of 12 pigs could, could flip an acre in about an hour and a half, you know, and completely uproot and turn it upside down and over, you know, they're insane what they're capable of. And these, these, you know, people put a lot of work into those food plots and then you have pigs come in and wreck it and then the deer won't come. Yeah. Um, I think he was more, he was hunting public land. I think he was just trying to figure out where the deer go or, you know, he was, we, we kind of suggested to him like, Hey, like if the deer went into the bedding area. Like he said, the bedding areas were overrun by the pigs. So where are the deer going? You he know, said the that we look at for the deer, like the points that go down in the swamps and stuff. He said they all had pigs on them, so they didn't know where the deer went. Well, I'm finding pigs and deer very close together in bedding. Now, I don't see them ever together up and around or rooting or going after acorns. I don't ever see them together at the same time. Not that I have a lot of experience yet, but when I am moving through there, um, I do jump a ton of deer doing exactly what we would expect them to do. They are on the points. They are on whatever the thickest cover is right on a transition or not deep in it. Um, but you'd be amazed at, you know, how any, or you, they'll use water barriers just like they do up here in the midwest but the behavior of those deer is very similar and i have jumped deer before and then ran into pigs you know 50 yards later so i do see them bedding in this, the same areas so are relevant too like that but deer down in there in georgia are definitely using the terrain the same exact way they are up north yeah i guess that's what i i kind of mentioned to him like hey these you know these hogs i don't think they are they're you know they're not killing these deer or anything i don't know if they view them as a threat or just that they're a nuisance to them you know they're aggravating to them um i'm not sure but it's not well, they like share I don't, I the same areas. yeah deer or deer wherever you go yep 
well set, 100% well set. A deer is a deer. And the terrain is everything. You know, as you've pointed out, a mil- I mean, it's the number one thing you could take away from everything you always put out there is you hunt the terrain and you hunt the what you you get the right wind and you hunt the terrain and the deer will be there. And it's no different in Georgia as it is in, uh, you know, as it is in northern Michigan or the UP of Michigan or in Kansas or, you know, anywhere that I've been. Um, you know, I, I've not seen it any different wherever, you know, you, you use the terrain cause deer use the terrain and they all use it the same way. Um, we're going to move into another segment called, uh, breaking news. Dan posted a article about CWD. Um, uh, he posted it on Facebook just a little bit ago, but he post- posted it on the, uh, hunting beast form. Uh, probably what a few days ago, Dan. Yeah, something like that. And and I I tried to read through it a little bit. Um, I didn't understand all of it completely, but it sounds like there's a a possibility that there's a disease that was uh in some sheep back in the 1700s, um, called scrappy or scrapey. is that right? Scrapy. Um, that was, um, you essentially can't really tell the difference in that and, um. CWD is that right? If when I got out of that uh, that article, it, the biologist was saying that uh, um, the characteristics of scrapie, which is a common disease with sheep, mm-hmm. is the same yeah. as, as CWD. And he said that uh, um, the USDA researchers um, checked into it and they couldn't find any difference between the two. And then they checked, and deer are 100% susceptible to scrapie. So the the first ever found deer that had CWD was in a pen with sheep. And when the researcher found it, but they had never heard of scrapie and they, they deemed it a new disease as CWD. So what this researcher is saying is that all along CWD is really scrapie, a disease that's been around for 300 years. So that's interesting news, but it isn't proven yet. And uh, they yeah. need to do more testing to make sure. Um, but I have always said over the years that I believe that CWD was never taken seriously until it was taken out of proportion by the Wisconsin DNR when uh, Doyle was in office. Now, our DNR is ran by our governor. And when our governor ran the DNR, he was all about bringing the population of deer down at that time frame. And uh, at any means... And he was fighting the hunters and the public. And CWD was his big excuse to bring the numbers down. So they really uh, exaggerated CWD and blew it way out of proportion. And uh, all the other states started taking it like it was religion and following suit. So it's pretty. the article's pretty interesting to me, but I'd like to see a little more proof yeah. that, that it is scrapey. Yeah, it's interesting because if that's the case, like it's been around for 300 years, you thought if it was going to you know, decimate the deer population, it would have done it. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not a biologist, but it's a cool article to read. Like, man, it's something that the CWD thing, it's like always like, it's hard to figure out, put your thumb on what's going on with it. And it's just another, I guess, another way of looking at it or another possibility of what's, what could be happening. CWD Um, is a lot like politics. I think uh, a lot of the people in, uh, in the higher up of the, the DNR, I mean, don't want it to change. They're using it as a, a way to control populations um, and bypass uh, hunters who, who normally regulate deer populations. 
Um, so I think there's a lot of people that will stand in the way of this moving forward. Hmm. I would agree. And CWD has been around for a long time. And, you know, it, like here in Michigan, too, they made a rule that as soon as we got CWD ever was found here, they would shut down baiting, which Michigan is a huge baiting state. It has been since the 80s. People bait. That's, you know, the attitude here is you can't kill a deer unless you put out a bait pile for it. It's how they do it and have since the 80s. And uh, when they said, though, when CWD would ever be found here, they would ban all baiting in the state. CWD was found here about, it's got to be about 10 years ago, and they banned baiting, and they banned it for five years, and then they brought it back because of hunter demand and because everybody's saying you can't kill a deer without baiting, and you can't do any of this stuff, and so then they brought it back here, um, and then CWD was pretty quiet, you didn't hear much, and then they just, it's now two years ago, it was found here again pretty heavy in, in central Michigan, so they uh, banned the baiting again. And now they give everybody 10 deer tags used to be where you had to apply, uh, like, especially in my area, you would have to apply for a doe tag and your odds, they give out like a thousand doe tags and 40,000 people would apply for that County. And so it was very low odds of drawing a public land doe tag. And then last year they decided to give everybody 10 deer tags anywhere they wanted to use them in the state. And they allowed, they said that during muzzleloader, you can now use a center fire rifle. So they're, like you said, they're trying to wipe the deer out here. They're trying to reduce the numbers pretty drastically. Right. I mean, when they started it by us, they actually said they were going to kill all the deer in southeastern Wisconsin, all of them, or, or the whole southern part of the state. Um, and obviously, they got a lot of kickback from that. But I remember uh, there were pictures going around of them having huge mounds of dead deer in pits they were burying them in. All those pictures have been hidden now. You can't find them. But uh, Right. Yeah, Biden probably got him. <laughs> I'm pretty. Huh, I'm pretty. They're on a Hunter Biden's laptop, probably. Uh, <laughs> right, that's what. I, yep. Sorry, I'm looking away. I'm trying to change lanes here. I'm oh, you're fine, Jason. Don't, don't, don't rack on camera here. I guess it'd be good content, but yeah, <laughs> there we go. That'd go viral. I mean, maybe you should. I mean, <laughs> you some, yeah, we yeah, there. You get a lot of views then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. I think I'm pretty lucky to live in Indiana. We, you guys have some, uh, some governments that seem to, uh, favor the opposite side of the spectrum sometimes. And Indiana's pretty, uh, conservative or right wing. So we haven't had too much worry about CWD for the most part. You don't hear much about it. Um, and you know, I'm, I'm you know, we're me and Jason states touch each other and me and Dan's almost do. So I don't know. You'd think if it was a, uh, we we would have had it down here too bad, um, but they literally have it everywhere they check for it. If they, if they do yeah. checking for CWD, they find it. Yep, basically yep. it is everywhere. It's it's in the soil, so you can't kill CWD. It's mm. here forever. So once those prions are created, they're always here. So if they leach into the soil, they're there forever. I mean, they've got places where they had deer farms, and they, the deer all got CWD, so they killed all the deer, bleached the soil, burnt the soil left the enclosure enclosed for 10 years, killed all the vegetation and everything. And then they bring no deer in and they immediately get CWD from the soil. You can't yep. get rid of it. It's there forever. So if you move sod from one state to another, you just move CWD. If you move a load of gravel from one state to another, if there's CWD in that gravel, it's moved with the gravel. If it's, if a dead deer falls in the Mississippi river and floats down to Georgia or wherever, 
down there in Mississippi, it brings CWD with it if it's in it. If, you know, if a, a bald eagle eats on a dead deer and eats the prions and goes and craps in the next state, it's crapping CWD. It goes right through their digestive systems. It's in deer urine. So if you're buying deer urine that was created in a farm in uh, Alabama, and that farm has CWD, it's transferred to wherever that deer urine is sold. And uh, a lot of that stuff was hidden from the public because they didn't want the public to not buy the deer urine. They just wanted them to kill more deer, basically, in my yep. opinion. Yeah, it's uh, it's crazy, but I don't know. We'll see. We'll have to try to keep track of all that. I don't know. Like you said, it may nothing will probably come of it just because of the politics of it. But be interesting to um to see where that article goes or if we ever hear anything about it again. Right. I think the CWD is is more. I think the deer herds are more tolerant of it compared to like an EHD or something mm -hmm. like that, you know, epiramic hemorrhaging disease and that kind of stuff, which, you know, like that wiped out half of the deer herd in Montana. You know, when that comes through, that's pretty devastating stuff. But I think, I think you guys are both right. CWD has been here forever and it always has been. It always will be. We just, you know, we don't know about it till it either comes up when somebody studies it for a reason or when they need an excuse to change something. Yeah. Justin Tanner says, I have no idea. He's right. I don't know anything about it. <laughs> I just thought it was an interesting article. Um, Dan, Dan's definitely more educated on it than I, I am. I studied it quite a bit. Yeah. When it sounds like it hit home to you though, it, it sounds like you guys had, they were giving you guys. Oh, yeah, buck tags and... At the time that they, uh, they eradicated most of my herd. Um, we didn't even have CWD in my entire County and they came in and I'm on the far end of the County. And because my county had joined a county that on the other end of that county had a couple cases, they put they lumped mine in. But really, I just had a high population. And we had really, really good deer hunting. The public land where I was hunting at the time when CWD came around here in, in the early, like, 2000 area, um, the land that I'm hunting on public um, was similar to having a high-priced lease in, in Illinois or hunting Iowa. It was really good hunting. Now it's it's average at best i mean they really wiped the population down um so yeah it, it hit home um but i studied it quite a bit um really checked into bi uh, biologist articles and stuff talked to biologists and really got some inside information i was talking to biologists from the dnr and stuff who were telling me on the side that uh, they didn't agree with any of it but they're forced to go along with it or they lose their jobs because the, the governor was mandating it and a lot of people don't see that. They're like, well, the DNR says we should do this. And the DNR says that the people that work for the DNR are great people. You know, I know most of the wardens in my area. I know the biologists. I talk to them regularly. And uh, what they tell me on the side is different than what the DNR, you know, um, is promoting. Because a lot of it is political. It's actually yeah. ran by the party that's in, in office. That's why it got better when we had um, Scott Walker come into office. Because he listened to the hunters. And uh, then he brought in James Kroll, who was an uh, accredited uh, biologist. And Graham, mm -hmm. James Kroll kind of saw the same things I see and said, you, you know, you have to manage the deer herd, not CWD, you know. Yeah. It's interesting. Um, it sounds like it's not too far off of like the COVID pandemic we, we went through just with the deer. <laughs> yep. Same uh, thing. Politics. Um, yeah. 
So Jason, I wanted to, I'd be, it'd be a shame to get you on here and not talk about traditional bows for a little bit. And we're actually gotten a bunch of, not a bunch of questions, a few questions about it. Um, we'll go over in a little bit, but what I was always curious, like guys like you, like what, what kept you from picking up a compound all these years, I guess, you know, whenever you, you first started hunting, did you start with a compound or did you, have you always just had a traditional bow? I, um, uh... 1992 i killed my first deer 93 actually 93 i uh had didn't own a bow you know i had a bow like when i was 12 and stuff like that but never uh never really did much hunting or anything but um but anyway i was you know 19 years old in in 1993 and uh i worked at a restaurant coil or a uh a fuddruckers restaurant and well they were getting together to go shoot shotguns we went down there and shot some clays i had a 870 and they, uh, at the same range, they were shooting compound bows. They had them there. And I was like, wow, I don't have to buy, buy shells. I don't have to buy clays. I can just keep shooting arrows over and over. So in September of that year, I went to a, uh, uh, a Gibraltar Trade Center hunting show, and I bought a Golden Eagle compound, set it all up with the overdraw, the whole deal. I shot it for all of September and got really good with it. And then opening day at deer season, I went up north, um, by where I live up in Holton Lake up there, but I went up there. I was living down by Detroit at the time. And, uh, I went out in the woods and I found a bunch of tracks on a motorcycle trail. And I thought, okay, well, there's a lot of deer that moved through here. So I sat down there and then, uh, I didn't see nothing. When I went back there the next morning, sat against a poplar tree and I had three does come in at like 15 yards behind me, downwind to me. They stopped when they hit my wind while well, I was sitting on my butt with my legs crossed and my bow laying next to me. And uh, while I looked over my shoulder and saw those deer, I had to roll my body over, stood up. When I stood up, I realized I forgot my bow down there on the ground. I had to bend down, grab my bow, pick it up, hook on my release, draw it back, get it anchored, get everything lined up. And then I shot her. She stood there the whole time and let me do all that. And uh, so I thought, well, this hunting stuff is way too easy. So I then I was like, okay, so I've got a recurve a few months later. And then it took me three years before I could kill another deer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, but I was hooked. And, you know, the challenge of the recurve was just, uh, you know, the compound was amazing. And I love that Golden Eagle. And then I, right after it, I bought a Browning Ballistic Mirage. And the limbs cracked on me. It wouldn't tune right. I had all kinds of problems. Three times I had to have Browning give me a new bow for it in a four-month period. And by December of that same 1993, I was at Gander Mountain, and they had a recurve, Barton Mamba recurve hanging there. I shot a compound right-handed, but I'm left-handed, left-eye dominant. Well, I picked that recurve up and shot it. And, uh, and I loved it. And I was just about to buy it. The guy behind the counter saw me writing my information down, uh, when I was going to buy that with my left hand. And he's like, you're left-handed. He said, and he said, let me check your eye. And he made sure he saw like your left eye dominant. Don't buy this one. You got to get a left-handed one. Trust me. And, uh, and I said, okay. So we ordered it. Uh, I'll never forget it. I paid 205 bucks for that Martin Mamba recurve. 1990 would have been like january 94 and uh and then i just never looked back i just had so much fun shooting it i just never never went back to uh, compound ever again it's kind of interesting because i'm exactly the opposite i started out with recurve and i started uh i got i was really good with it because i shoot all the time when i was young i'd shoot i shoot everything i would go out and i'd rabbit hunt squirrel hunt it's kind of just like hunting whatever came by got killed and ended up getting eaten and uh that's the way i grew up and uh, that recurve, I was like, uh, I was so accurate with it. But as I got older and started working and stuff and, and started not shooting as much, I started getting sloppy 
and I couldn't kill stuff on a regular basis. And then I went to a compound because it was easier. So it was kind of yeah. like the opposite. I did. Uh, I, I progressed backwards from you. <laughs> yeah, well, and, and you can tell too. I mean, for, see, I say this a lot, but as a traditional bow hunter, it's, there's not a lot of us that are traditional guys, especially in the beginning where we're worried about horns or we're worried about any of that kind of stuff. Or even if we kill a deer, it's the adventure. Um, but I mean, if you look at the title right there underneath your face on what it says there, that kind of describes you pretty well. And uh, that, that comes with a series of priorities when you get in the woods. And a traditional bowl might not fit that for you, especially in the, that early times, you know, when you're trying to, to make that all come together. So I totally get that. Yeah, it's definitely harder, but it is, it's fun for sure. For sure. It's a lot of You're fun. You're kind of like, uh, the opposite, uh, uh, Josh, I look at you and it surprises me that you, you know, you're, you're so into, uh, traditional bow hunting and, uh, shooting stuff traditionally. Then all of a sudden you pull out some weird, correct contraption. That you're shooting. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that gearhead compound. I think you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's a it's a compound it's just real tiny but yeah it's it's goofy looking for sure yeah, it looks uh, like it was made out of legos or something <laughs> yeah that's a good way to describe it no yeah it's, it's goofy looking um i'm also a kind of guy that i'm uh sometimes i get stuff that's just different because i don't want to be i don't want to have the same thing everybody else has or you know so i just I don't know that that company is a good it was a good shooting bow and they're a small company and I liked it and but, oh what the heck I'll buy one from them you know instead of Matthews or Hoyt or whatever you know um, yep. but I'm I'm gonna use one of those prime bows this year I'm pretty excited about that along with uh, I got a new uh, um, well Steve made me a bow Jason and then uh, South Cox from Stalker I got one of his bows too so. Two very good bows, and the primes. Primes, Michigan bow. Are they still made in Michigan? I know they started they from Michigan. Yep. Yeah, and, uh, I don't That's know a lot I'm about thinking. them, but you know, as far as the bows. But man, I, I watched the videos on those when they first started coming out with that dual cam setup and how it synchronizes. And uh, man, I'll tell you what, pure brilliance to prime. If I were shooting a compound today, it'd be a prime bow in my hand. Yeah, that's what I'm shooting. Yep, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. we had them on um whatever a few episodes ago and they're really good guys um interesting company too so yeah um yeah well let me see here we've been on for what over an hour again let's do some q a sometimes these kind of can take a while um thanks for all the questions guys as usual there's a whole bunch of them and a whole bunch of chats and uh, I've tried to I've tried to stay off the chat just so I don't get distracted and start laughing or something in the middle of the <laughs> um, everything. So, um, Dan, this is for you. Is there any designs or plans for offering premium shoulder straps for carrying the B stand? Yeah, it's in the thought process, uh, but I've been so busy with the R and D on uh, a new stand design that I haven't really gotten to it too far. Yeah, so I probably need to look at that a little closer because it's an easy, an easy fix. I know everybody wants the premium straps. I just figure like it's so light that just the the black nylon ones are good. But I'm different than other people. I mean, uh, everybody's different. For me, I'm more of a minimalist. I really like small. I know uh, Mario likes the um, big padded stuff, and you know, like that are you know that. Uh, yeah, like frame pack. That's right. Yeah, and stuff like that. But I think the stand's so light that that doesn't matter. Um, 
that that's me. I, I would like to come more somewhere in between and come up with a good uh, padded backstrap. Um, that's in the works. Um, I think we're still going to, no matter what we do, we're going to produce them and sell them with the regular straps, but we might produce a, a backpack strap that you can purchase for it as an add-on um, for a reasonable price. And I think the reason for that is because I don't want to have to up the price at a stand for guys that don't want it for a guy, you know, that just is okay with just the straps or he wants a certain type and he's going to throw out what he gets with it anyways. Yeah. So I'd rather have that be an upgrade. Yeah. And I, I don't want to put words in your mouth too, but I know something else that's a struggle with that kind of stuff is getting like made in America things for affordable yeah. is pretty hard to do. You know, you know, and that is an interesting statement because, um, our competitors are saying they're made in America and that the metal's all made in America and stuff. And you can't even buy all made in America metal. I checked into it. You can't certify it. And yeah. these same people uh, that are saying that, you know, they're hundred percent made in America. They tell you their seats are stuck on the boats overseas. Can't get over here. And you're like, I thought you made everything in America. And they're like, well, not the seats. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, we are, we're making our seats in America. We're making everything. You know, uh, even the bolts we're buying in America. I mean, it's um, and it's hard to do and it's expensive. It's really a struggle nowadays and everything's going up in price and it's so hard not to bring the price up for us, too. It just it, it is. People don't realize how, how expensive manufacturing is right now. I can give you a uh, the real world of that. You know, I I, uh, I sell a flask on Amazon, little side business kind of thing I do. And I'm going to get out of his way. But I, I sell a flask on there. And when I was making it, I had it made my way. It's made out of uh, 301 stainless or 304. It's the same thing as a Yeti tumblers made out of same kind of high grade stainless steel. And uh, I can get it made in China. I can have it made overseas and shipped here to me. And, you know, made, packaged, everything done, shipped and designed to my specs for $3.30 a piece. When I checked into having that same exact thing made here in the United States, checked with five different companies, all corners of the country, it would have been 20 bucks to have one of them made here. So you look at the difference of that, $3.30 overseas, including shipping it to me overseas, um, you know, by freight um, versus, you know, 20 bucks. I don't even sell them for 20 bucks. I sell them for $15, you know, but it would have been 20 bucks to have it made in the USA. So, you know, there, there's a lot to be said for what that cost factor really is, you know, for having it made here. You know, I was uh, I'm building a building in the backyard and uh, I had a couple junk cars up on the hill. So I, uh, I called up a junker and had him come over for him, just pick him up. So I says, what are you going to give me for him? He says, $1,000, 500 bucks a piece. I'm like, well, okay. So he gives me 500 bucks, and I get the the uh, original titles out. Um, now, these cars don't run or nothing. They're just rotted into the ground, right? The titles of those cars, they were both bought around 2000 both of them. One was Carol's, one was mine. And uh, I paid $144.90 for one of them when I bought it, <laughs> working, ran it for years. And the other one I paid 400 and some dollars for. And I got 500 for scrap for each of them. They went up in price. That's what's happening in our economy right now. You right. should have bought some uh, you should have bought some more of them. Right. <laughs> laid them around for a while. It's better in your savings account. <laughs> yeah, I went to uh I went to the hardware store the other night. It's been a few weeks ago now, maybe a month ago, and I needed a two by four for a little project I was doing and 
I just said, oh, I just need a two by four by eight, you know, didn't even think about it. And I, I ended up getting two of them just in case, you know, and they checked me out and she's like 22 47. I'm like, how much are they? She's like, yeah, they're whatever, $11 a piece right now. I'm like, gosh, I'm glad I'm not building a barn in my backyard. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah Eric, uh, Eric uh, Jetsky uh, just putting that uh, stairs for me. I mean, it was, even he was shocked and he's a uh, contractor. It was 600 bucks worth of material. Yep. Just put the stairs in and a little box over the top of it with a door on it. I mean, it was crazy. <laughs> yep. Robert Carter, he's um, a guy down here in Georgia. I follow. He's a big time pig hunter. You guys may know him, but I, you know, he's killed a lot of deer with a with a bow and pigs and stuff like that. And uh, but he had a thing on his Facebook. I was laughing. It had a a little piece of a two by ten, like a four foot long two by ten. It had a little notch cut out of it, and it was leaning there. And it says, uh, "I have wood left over from a project I did. We'll trade this for 1980s Corvette. Corvette must run." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's no kidding. All right. No, another question. This one's for Jason. This is from Tim. Uh, Tim from the Hunting Beast or Nomadic Beast, as he's known for in the in the uh, the forum here. Um, if you want to get into traditional archery, and Tim, you asked me this question. You don't trust my opinion, I guess. Um, are 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 there any beginner bows uh, you would recommend, like a Samic Sage or Black Hunter? Uh, you know, I, I know people that have both, and both of them are fantastic. Now, in our house, we have four Samic Sage bows. Um, they were my kids' bows. My wife used one for bow fishing for a while. We got four of them, and they have been beat through the ringer. They have been left in, you know, in in hot cars in 100-degree temperatures while we are waiting to go out fishing, you know, while we go eat and stuff i mean they have been through the ringer and they still work 100 percent perfect they draw well they shoot well they hold the hold tiller well um I, I don't think you can go wrong with a samic sage I, I love that bow it's it's fantastic for the money you can get extra limbs if you want to go to a new set of limbs like from 40 to 45 or 50 it's it's like 70 bucks for brand new limbs and they're uh what do they call those josh what's the i, I don't know this recurse the ilf or ifl yeah, what are they're, yeah they're not ilf but that's what they're called. Uh, that's what you're okay, but they're, about. Okay, but they're you don't need to send a riser in. You can just uh, no. They're they all fit. They fit. Yeah, the Samic Sage limbs fit the the riser, so you can just order yeah. new limbs for it. <clears throat> yeah, and I hear the Black um, Hunter is really good as well too. I, I've never shot one of those, but I hear really good things about that bow. And uh, so, I mean, you can't beat them for the money. And you know, you're going to want a spare anyway, eventually, or you're going to want a bow fishing bow or whatever you're going to do with it. So, if you're just starting out, buy a Black Hunter or buy a Samic stage or something like that and go out and enjoy it and if you love it and you don't want to get another bow shoot that bow the rest of your life if you want to go you want to treat yourself to something custom or you want to do something different buy or order that custom bow and do what you want and then have that other one as a backup uh especially if it's like a sage where they break down you know you can it's a perfect backup bow you throw it right in your duffel bag yeah and the fact not I'm, not I'm not saying you're gonna do this tim but the fact is like a lot of people will buy one and realize how difficult it is and then to go back to the compound so you hate and it's like a custom bow like a cheap one's 900 bucks for a custom bow you know you could spend more than a compound on a custom uh custom recurve or or longbow so i i think i recommended the samic to to tim as well that's a um, I never, I know, I never hunted or shot the black hunter. Uh, uh, I know he, which one he's talking about, but yeah, it's hard. It's hard. It's hard because people assume that a traditional bow is cheap because it's just a piece of wood, you know, but it's not. Jason, I just you made a video. Your own builds? 
you ever do your own builds? Build your own yeah, bowl? I've made it. I made a few. Yeah. Yeah, I know you did, Josh. I was wondering if Jason ever did. Oh. No, I have not. I, I make my own strings, my own arrows, that kind of stuff, but I've never tried to build my own bow. Yep. It's a. Uh, it, there's a lot of good information on it now. Uh, there's Clay Hayes, who's, I don't know if anybody's familiar with him. He won the Alone TV show last year, but he has a really good uh, book and DVD. shows you how to build one. Um, because Maniac. Yeah, yeah I'd love to watch him win that alone. It was a, that was a pretty good episode. Yeah. The whole series. I, I know him. I've, I've talked to him before. I'd love to get him on here. I don't know if he would or not, but. He's, you know, he's a pretty good guy. I bet he would. He 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 he's like all of us. He gives and he, everything. His whole world is about teaching. You know, he he invites people out for his deer hunts out there, and uh, you know where he's at in Idaho and Utah. And I mean, he like I said, he's he's as genuine as they come. And as you guys both know, that's what we try to surround ourselves with. And he fits that bill perfectly. I I, I would be. He's probably real busy, but I would be shocked if he wouldn't come on. Yep, I may reach out to him. Yeah, he'd be cool. I mean, you could talk to that guy about a whole plethora of things. Well, I mean, he's a good hunter. Obviously, he survived by himself on wherever they were at for 80 days or something um, without, you know, any food or anything. You get to source all that yourself. So he'd be cool. And he I mean, killed a deer. He killed a deer out yeah, there. He killed a deer out there. Um, and a whole bunch of trapping, I think, rabbits and fish and all kinds of stuff. So, um, yeah. That's pretty cool. Pretty cool to see someone you kind of knew or associated, you know, you, you've talked to him to, uh, to win something like that. Yeah. He was going to try and kill more deer. Well, he was, he had to follow, they have to follow the local game laws. So he was only allowed to take one deer and, uh, but he, he was pretty, you know, if he would have had the opportunity or legally could have, he would have been out there chasing more of them, but by law, he could only kill one deer on that trip. Hmm. Yeah. Well, that'd be frustrating sitting there starving and not be able to <laughs> kill something. But uh, someone asked, I saw someone ask about how expensive is it to make your own bow? I've done it both ways. I've actually cut down Osage trees. I got like probably 40 staves in my uh, barn right now. Um, but if you got to buy one, you don't stave have to right now. Dry Do what? You don't have to kill and dry them? No, you just let it. I got them drying in my barn for. I don't know. They got dry for a few years. Um, you got to do a video on it. it. Might take you about six years to do it. Yeah, yeah, it'd be a slow process. Um, but to buy a stave, it's like two hundred bucks, and then you're probably going to break it your first time. So you might as well. And those are self bows. You're talking self bows too. I mean, if you want to make a laminated bow, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, that's a that's a whole thing. You got now. You you know, there you don't just buy a jig for that. You got to custom make all your wood forms. You got to you know. There's a lot. I mean, I videotaped Steve making his, and you know, I've been in his shop a bunch of times. And the, the custom setup, every every tool he has, he had to make from scratch, yeah. custom somehow. So that's a huge whole endeavor to get. You don't just walk into Walmart and buy a buy the stuff you need for that. No. They have, I've uh, made one with a, like a kit you could buy. Uh, I don't remember the cost of it though. It's pretty, pretty, you know, a number of years ago. They had the bow end up breaking. I didn't do something right and it broke eventually, but um, probably got some, something in between the laminates or something where I glued it and it, it didn't, didn't work. But anyway, um, yeah, you can make it as cheap as you want as you go and cut down a tree and then start whittling on it with a knife. But, um, 
anyway, let's go on to another question. This one's, I'm going to try to ask this question. It's one of those ones where I'm not 100% sure what the guy was wanting, but I'm going to, I'm going to go for it anyway. It's probably a good one for uh, either one of you guys. Um, so this guy has three deer trails going around the side of a hill. If you can imagine that. And they're all 30 yards apart. Um, the wind blows across all three of them. How do I determine which trail to set up on? Or do I put one trail downwind and two upwind? I'm imagining like a trail at the bottom in the middle and then two thirds up or something like that. It'll so be it, interesting because me and Dan will have different attitudes based on the bows we shoot. So go ahead, Dan, tell <laughs> them how you do it. No, uh, was his question basically which one are the deer using? And, and Yeah, how does he determine which one to set up on? Okay, so um, I believe that the deer are probably cruising the low trail um, in the mornings and evenings. And during the day, they're probably cruising the upper trail. Um, or if they're betting, they're betting up towards the upper trail. Uh, so if you're talking rut time, uh, the, the upper and middle trail are the ones I'd concentrate on during the day. Um, and in the mornings, I'd probably be down low. It, it has to do with the thermals, I think, which ones they're using in the wind. They're, they're, uh, I think they're traveling on those trails that are um, horizontal to the hill um, based on the thermal current and the wind uh, speed. And I would say that the two upper trails are probably the ones being used uh, during the, the daytime the most. But at the thermal, thermal drop times, they're down lower. But I think... He wanted to know if, but I think he was getting at how, which, uh, which trail would you set on up on if they're, they're 30 yards apart for all three trails, would you set up above and the wind blows across them? Would you set up above? Would you set up below? Would you set up on the middle and let one be downwind? How would you set your stand? Uh, I would, if I could, what I would probably do is I'd follow the hill until I found a spot where all the trails came together around a draw or something. And I'd hunt there, uh, personally. Um, I generally, uh, I probably set up closer to, to, to how Jason does and what Jason thinks. I don't like shooting over 20 yards. Uh, yep. personally, I have a hard time killing deer at 20 yards. I don't, I don't have any business shooting over that. Although every now and then I get the balls to think I can. So I try not to put myself in a situation where I'd be tempted. So, uh, I try to use land features and terrain to force those trails to come together. So when I look at hillsides, I, I tend to look for a draw, a fallen tree that's on there that forces the deer to, to go to a point. And a lot of times that helps tremendously because it gets them out of the thermals too and puts them in a place where they're vulnerable. But that's how I would do it. Yep, and the micro transitions that are on there too. You'd be amazed what if you just got an open hillside to say it's got a lot of oak and stuff like that on there. But let's say that there's a string of cedars that run through there that are, you know, pretty decent cedars and they're spread out 30 yards apart. But just that little bit of green in that strip right there, that's where all that activity will be. You know, just like Dan said, it's a micro funnel inside of it. Um, but uh, your answer was the best you could give. If you can find a spot, if you got the time to find where those narrow down and you can catch all of them like that, I would agree with that completely. Um, I do, again, like you, because it's shooting a close. For me, 20 yards max. That's my maximum distance. And uh, so if I had 30 yards shooting 
and that wind is like that on a hillside, I, if I'm stuck and I'm going to have to set up right there, I'm probably setting directly on top of that middle trail. And I'll have one downwind to me and one upwind to me. And that's just, uh, and I'll risk it and see what happens. And a lot of times they'll come right down that center one. And, you know, either if they don't get by me, um, you know, the does and stuff like that, they get real spooky and they'll like jump and hop and do stuff. But those bucks, when they get to be pretty decent, again, I'd, I'd have never killed anything like what Dan kills. But, um, you know, for these two and three year old and these decent, you know, these deer that I'm killing, I see a lot of these bucks when they come in. When they, when they bust my scent, if they hit my trail or anything like that, or they get real close to my stand and that wind swirls and hits them, they don't move right away. They don't take off like a, like, you know, yearlings do or does do and get out of there. He stops and analyzes what he's going to do and what his next move is. And uh, so even if he gets downwind of me and I can't shoot him before he hits that scent spot, when he does hit it, often there's a lot of times that I get that opportunity. So um, to not risk losing one of those trails, if I don't know which one you're on, which Dan had perfect sense on how to determine which one they'd be on, but I wasn't thinking that. I was just thinking set up. I would have set up in the middle one and shot so I could shoot both ways. Yep, those are good answers, and I have no reason to say anything else. So we're gonna go to the next one. <laughs> All right, uh, this is more for Jason. Uh, what does fresh sign from hogs look like aside from tracks and scat? Uh, what are the kinds of sign you look for that hogs would leave behind? Well, hogs are going to be, uh, they leave trails, but their trails are, are wider than deer trails um, because they, they just, they're low to the ground. So they knock vegetation. I mean, your average hog belly is probably only six to six to eight inches off the ground. So they're pumping stuff where, you know, on a deer trail, you can almost through grasses on a deer trail, you can almost see where their hoofs go left and right until that trail gets formed. But hogs will just mat it down like you drug a deer out of there. So their trails are much bigger and wider. Um, the deer, uh, oh, where am I at on here? You're good. I just okay. uh, switched the, so I, we, you were going out of frame. So I switched just so we could see you. You're good. Sorry. Go ahead. Okay. Yeah. I'm trying to keep it in the light there, but, uh, um, but the, uh, um, their tracks, hog tracks are different than deer tracks. Usually they're, they're wider. They're more, uh, I showed it in a couple of my videos, my hog or how to hog hunt, but, uh, their tracks are much more squared off where deer tracks are more heart shaped. You know, as they kind of come in, you can, when you look at a deer track, it looks like that deer is meant for speed and, and finesse and, in fluid movement where hogs look more like it came off of a Sherman tank and it's just designed, they look more goat like they're designed to just get through everything. Uh, so their tracks are completely different. It's very, when you see them next to each other, you know what you're looking for. Identifying hog tracks is a, is a pretty easy thing to do um, compared to deer. And, uh, and then the beds, hogs bed similar to deer do sometimes, but when you find their nests, uh, you know, hogs don't bed, uh, like, you know how does will bed and they'll face different directions and you'll have your perfect beans and things like that. And your buck is going to be up against a log and he's going to have the wind in his back and, you know, thick to uh, back and wind coming from the back and visual out the front. Hogs actually lay like sardines most of the time. They want each other for the warmth. So you'll find them where they'll actually hog beds will have four, five, six, whatever hogs will usually be bedded, smashed up against each other and heads in different directions. Uh, so it, once you start knowing what you're looking for or seeing some of this stuff, it's pretty obvious the, the difference in the sign. But it can at first be confusing uh, 
in the beginning because you don't know what's what. But once you, you, you pay attention to it, it makes a lot more sense to you. You know, you'll see mud rubbings, uh, you know, hogs mud or they they rub on branches and sticks all the time uh after they wallow so you'll see those are a dead giveaway so it, it won't take you long to, to find a difference between the signs yeah that's interesting i didn't i don't know much about that kind of stuff so that's pretty cool someone asked uh, if i've ever had a close call with rattlesnakes nope we have them here never seen one we apparently have them here Never seen one though. Neither, not in Kentucky either. Um, I'm planning on spending a little more time in Kentucky this year than I usually do. So maybe, maybe I'll see one. I hope not. Um, you ever been charged by a pig, Jason? I have. Yeah, uh, two times in my life. Once was on a game preserve in Tennessee, and uh, and he, you know, it was it was actually a pig that John shot from Tactus Hill. He shot that pig, and it, I just happened to be in the exit route. Both times that I've been charged, it was not on purpose of a charge. It was me being in the, in the way of where he wanted to go. Um, but two times I had to use that tree swing technique where you basically throw your bow and you just kind of hop to the nearest tree and grab it and swing because those pigs can't turn very sharp. So and then he'll run right by you, and then he won't bother to turn around to come back for you. Um, but one was on a preserve many years ago, and the other one was actually last day of the season on on WMAs here. And uh, um, I shot at a pig and missed it, and uh, but it was it scared it enough that it turned, and it was only about a eighteen yard shot. But I ended up getting a deflection on Palmetto, and uh, but when it turned, it turned to come right out through where I was, and it was big and it wasn't stopping. And I had to basically jump out of the way, grab a tree, swing my legs up. And, you know, he ended up veering off about three yards before me, but it's got a little pucker factor to it when it happens. <laughs> yeah. Andy, Andy Howes asked about uh, if, if pigs can, uh, if they can see, smell or hear better, they can't see and they really don't hear very good because they're making so much freaking noise, uh, but they can smell pretty good. Would you agree, Jason? They don't. Oh, yeah, their, I missed you. Uh, their their nose is better than the white. Many times it's better. Oh, sorry. Can you hear me? Yep, you're good now. Go Am ahead. Am I there now? You are. Yep. Okay. Um. Yeah. The, a pig's nose is better than a white tail's by quite a few times, I believe. Their nose is incredible. Um. Kind of yeah. like on the same level as a black bear. Um, their eyes and their eyes are really good too. Their ears not so good, but man, their eyes, they spot movement like you would not believe. The reason that people think that they don't see so well is because they're so low to their ground. Their eyes are down there. Their eyes are only a foot off the ground most of the time. So they're usually you're hidden in brush. But I'll tell you what, you uh if you're in the open, they'll pick you out and if uh, if they if you move and they see uh, you're you're busted. They they see yeah. pretty good, but you're right. Their hearing is not well at all. You can crunch and you can almost run right up to them if they're not looking at you. And because they're making so much noise, you sound like another pig. They don't care. Yeah, they constantly have their nose down and they're just doing this and making all kinds of racket around their heads. They don't hear very good. Yeah. Um, okay, we're gonna go over to Dan and then go back to Jason. <laughs> Dan, question on cattail points that are surrounded by deeper water. Will they bed on the points with the water as a good escape? Depends on the water. They're yeah, not going to bed on a point that's uh, out on a lake. Um, they got to have good escape. Escape is number one. I'm not saying a deer will never bed in that situation, but I'm saying a big buck will choose a different spot over that. Uh, they have to have good escape. A good escape is an ingredient in bedding that they need. 
so Jason's water and water and brush like uh say it's dogwood or cattails they'll use that for escape every day but they're not going to go across long periods of open water they might run across a river might run across a pond but they're not going to go swim across the lake or um, run through shallow water for 100 yards in the open they're not going to expose themselves All right, Jason, someone asked what kind of bow you shoot. Uh, I Mine are built by uh, Steve Teray over at Northern Mist Longbows. He builds them for me. I shoot an ASL-style bow, so it's what they call American semi-longbow or a, a hill-style bow. So it's, uh, you know, real old school. It's just a straight limb with a straight grip. It's basically like taking a broomstick and uh, putting a string on it. But I, I love it, and it shoots so good, so forgiving, and I, I love it. But they're made by Steve Teray at Northern Miss Longbows. Someone uh, asked uh, Jason about your how, how often you get a pass through uh, with your, your arrows on with your higher FOC arrows on uh, hogs. On hogs, I'm going to say, uh, well, um, if we talk about complete arrow pass through and popping out both sides, you know, arrow stuck in the ground, I'm going to say so far in my limited of, you know, my, my 10 public land hogs I've killed, um, you know, with high FOC arrows, complete zip right through pass through out of 10, the 10 hogs I've killed, I think were two of them, uh, broadhead penetrating through both sides completely there so that, it, you know, as he runs out, he pulls it out. Um, but exit and entry holes, I'm going to say a total of, uh, six and then four of them would be one side hits only, but two of those were pigs laying on their side and one I went into the spine or next to the spine and stuck it in the sternum. And uh, the other one was quartering away and it went in in front of the right in front of the back hip and stuck in the opposite shoulder. So I, I, I you know, I, that's my only experience so far is 10 of them. And, uh, you know, I, I would say that I had an exit wound on, about half of them, basically, you know, for the most part. The other ones, a couple of them, you know, with the bone hits, I don't know what they would have been. I was uh, shockingly surprised at how big those hogs get down there. Like, we saw some giant ones. Yeah. Um, and I shot a female, and when I did, she made some kind of holler noise, whatever. Got She squealed her um, when I shot her, you know, and ran over there and died real quick. And uh, we went and got – we were going to go get the, the pickup, um, and as we were walking back, uh, a giant like male was must have hurt her and was kind of running into her. And I it had been hard to get an arrow to go all the way through that one. I think I, I was I was surprised at how big they were. Um, yeah, and I didn't. I mean, they told me, and I don't. You know, this is I don't really know what they weigh, but you know, the guy was like, yeah, they can get up to you know three hundred pounds sometimes, like some great big ones. And when you get into the boars, they got those shields on them, you know, that are yeah. in stick of cartilage and stuff like that and build up. You know, they can be pretty tough. Um, but I, and I know that's why a lot of people will go to a narrower head. I see all those pigs I told you about meat that I'm shooting. I shot with a one and a half inch wide uh, two blade broadhead as well, too. So if I was shooting, a, you know, a one and a sixteenth or one and an eighth, um, you know, I'll probably get a little more penetration through there as well. So if you're running a lighter weight setup, I'm only shooting 57 pounds and my draw length is barely longer than a crossbow. You know, I mean, I only got 26 inch draw length. 
um, you know, being a short guy. So I don't have that big, long power stroke that most, most people do shooting longer draws. So for me, um, you know, if I'm pushing a one and a half inch head through there, you know, on most of those hits are passing through anybody shooting, you know, a, a normal size head, one and a quarter, one and an eighth, one and a 16th, uh, you know, you're going to blow through, I'll bet you blow through most hogs you shoot. That's a popular topic right now is uh, FOC and all that. And I always like, uh, I was shooting a, a, um, a recurve bow at the workshop we had a few weeks ago. And I don't know, I had like 250 grains up front and people were like, well, that's crazy. You know, I'm like, that's just how traditional archery is. It's like, it's just been like that forever. It's just what they, um, that's where the high FOC stuff came from for the most part. Um, anyway, you were shooting. Do what? Your bow. I thought that was your bow when I was watching you shoot because I didn't see where you got it from. And you were just nailing that little uh, <laughs> like one-inch circle. And, uh, yeah, it was pretty good. That was... bow off his shelf. I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> that, I did shoot that bow really well. It was pretty close, though. We weren't very far away. But um, You should probably bought that and took it home. I offered him. <laughs> I asked him if he wanted to sell it. He said no. I didn't, he didn't want to sell it, which I don't need another bow. But that one I shot well. So... <laughs> um anyway uh let me run through these real quick there's one question i want to ask but i can't okay i'm gonna try um i'm not sure some of his wording was a little bit um confusing to me but um essentially he's asking if, if you bust a deer um the buck notices you but just turns and leaves that's one scenario how would you set up would you like would you you know they're talking about you know, uh, bumping a deer and then setting up on him right away. Uh, what's the best way of going about that? So the buck just leaves. Mm-hmm. He gives me a bunch of scenarios, uh, and I'm someone to run through. I'll go with just the buck just leaves. Just yep. He he sees you, but he just he's nervous. He notices you. He notices you, but just turns and leaves. Uh, there's two ways I would handle that. Um, number one, if I think there's a reason he would want to come back. I will set up downwind of where he was, basically. Um, or number two, I will try to figure out where he's going and cut him off. Um, if I know an area really well, a lot of times I know where that buck's going to go to. Um, but quite often, if it's a betting scenario and you didn't spook him hard, if he thinks you're just passing through, he'll be back in 20, 30 minutes, maybe an hour. So, uh, but the thing is when they do come back, they're going to come back in and swing downwind. Um, mm. most of the time when I've, I've gotten busted in that scenario, I haven't gotten far enough downwind. I've, I find like the first transition downwind, like the first hard transition, they tend to walk along that circle to the downwind side and smell to see if things are safe and then come out and, and come back in. If they're going to come back to the scenario, um, you know, you know, maybe, maybe they only come back uh, on a on a soft bump like that, one out of five or one out of six times. But in uh, the hunting world with a big buck, that's pretty damn good odds. So I would I would go set up on them coming back, unless I had uh, good intel on the area and I thought he was going someplace else. I'd go try to beat him to that spot. Okay, what if he snorts and runs? Um, 
if he snorts and runs, I'd try to find out where he's going to go to. I don't think he's coming back. Yeah, that's uh, two years ago I bumped a deer that was in the first scenario. I was walking in the hills, and he just was bedding on a little point and jumped up and kind of skirted off. And uh, I got up in my stand. I wasn't nearly as uh, I wasn't nearly as thoughtful about it as what you were. I just kind of set up there where I jumped him, and uh, yeah, I got up my stand. And I got my bow ready. And I looked over there, and there he was just standing by seventy yards from me. And he bedded back down right there, and just stood there, sat there the whole night. Never, never got up. Um, finally, got dark, and I just, but he didn't go very far at all. And bedded back down. Just went over the ridge, and bedded down. Got any experiences on that, Jason? You know, I do very similar to what you're talking about. I think always go downwind. Anytime I bump a deer, if he if I bumped him out of where I want to be at, um, I'll move downwind. The only exception to that is if it's does that I'm bumping. If I bump bedded does somewhere and they're going to pop up out of there and go, if it's during the rut time, I'm going to set up right there as close as I can to that scent because I got a feeling that if there's any bucks coming out of bedding that are going to start trailing those does, they'll come through there you know, almost right on her track like they do. So I would want to be within shooting range of where they were if I could. Uh, but otherwise, downwind is always the best. It might only be 30 yards or 50 yards, but somehow if they're coming back, going to, you know, they're going to, in my opinion, they're going to circle downwind to you. Well, we've been on here for over an hour and a half now and kind of ran out of questions here, so. Um, I forgot, completely forgot about this portion of it. If you guys, sorry about not letting you guys call in. I just forgot to mention it and have nobody send me a message. So maybe nobody was going to call in this episode, but typically Jason will try to have people call in, but I it slipped my mind. I was trying to do this new, uh, new segment for everybody. And I, I forgot the coolest part of the whole thing was when people can call in, but next time I <laughs> promise I won't forget that, that portion. Um, Jason, thanks for getting on here. Dan, you got anything else to to add? I'm gonna let Jason pitch his uh, stuff right here before we leave. But no, I'd just like to say thanks to Jason for coming on. It's nice to to get some FaceTime with him. Don't see yep. him too often. I appreciate it. Yep. And uh, again, I can't tell you enough, Dan. That stand, love that stand. I used it every single day, every single second, every sit of this year, and not once did I hang that stand without a smile ear to ear. I love it. I can't wait to see what new ones you come out with. If they're, uh, you know, I don't know if I'm going to buy another one of the exact ones that I have, or I'm going to wait and see what else is coming. But I'll tell you what, best that, that stand is incredible. You nailed it right out of the park. Well done. Cool. Appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Oh, and uh, we had a whole bunch of like regulation questions in the comments. I didn't ask any of those guys if we probably shouldn't be giving advice on the law here. So just look it up if you're. If you got questions, <laughs> um, anyway, Jason, where can people find you and, um, see what you got going on? Uh, just anywhere you Google traditional bow hunting and wilderness podcast, it'll pop up. It'll take you to the YouTube, to the podcast, to the website. It's all you, anywhere you Google traditional bow hunting and wilderness podcast, everything I have will be right there for you. Perfect. All right, everybody. Thanks for getting on. This was our, I think we had a record high number of people uh, join at one time. So uh, pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> I hope, uh, hope it keeps growing. It's fun. We're going to keep trying to get good guests on like Jason and others. And um, yeah, I'll see you guys next Thursday.